Friends, if you have your Bible with you, I'm, probably it'd be best just to have it open to, to 1 John chapter 4. That's one of the small letters of John right back near in front of the book of Revelation. We'll be getting there for a few verses in a little while. As we often do as we look at a topic in Scripture, we move around in Old and New Testament. But uh, if we're anywhere very long today, it'll be in 1 John chapter 4. For that is one of the most important chapters in Scripture that speaks of the love of God and the fact that God is love and that His children are people who live in love and He loves people through us. That's an important chapter. Well, our theme for these, uh, this brief fall series is the commandments of Jesus. Jesus, in fact, describes a person who knows Him and loves Him. He describes His friends this way. In John chapter 15, verse 14, Jesus says, You are My friends if you do what I command. That fundamental to being a friend of Jesus is taking seriously His desires for us. And for our lives. Understanding that the commandments of Jesus are not onerous. They're not burdensome. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the commands of Jesus are not something that will hurt you or take away from your experience in life if you follow them. It will bless you and make your life abundant. This is the heart of Jesus' commands. They are what is not only good for you. I remember as a little child, my parents tried to get me to eat vegetables because they were good for me. Well, those commandments may have been good for me, but they weren't pleasant. We often resorted when our parents weren't looking to hiding vegetables. Some of you had those old tables that if you pull them apart, a crack opens where you can put a leaf in later. Well, we learned that you could pull it apart and you could put your vegetables down that crack. And because the table had a, a platform underneath that held the table up. There was like a little shelf in there. And it would hold pounds of green beans and peas and boiled carrots. It was a wonderful thing. Failing that, my parents loved to tell the story of being a child and I gave me peas to eat. I don't know how old a child should be when they get unmashed peas, but they gave me peas to eat and they were so thrilled to find the peas were all gone. The trouble was, they weren't in my mouth. They were up my nose. My sinuses were packed with peas. We didn't know what to do. In fact, they called a doctor and the doctor gave them directions. My dad put his hand over my mouth and pushed on my stomach a primitive baby Heimlich. It was like a machine gun, they said. It was an incredible thing. Family stories are amazing. But the commands of Jesus are not only good for you, they're just good. They're wonderful. We've talked the last few weeks about some of those commands that we call the ordinances, like the Lord's Supper. Jesus says, do this as often as you do it. Do it in remembrance of me. That's good for you. We remember Jesus' love for us and it grows and touches our hearts so well. Jesus gives us that first step of faith to follow Him when He commands us to baptize in His name. You're now a follower of Christ. It's a picture of you being born again, risen from the dead. And it's so exciting. Sometimes you may doubt your, your, what your faith was like or how you felt, but then you remember testifying to that faith publicly in baptism. 
And it makes it real for you in an incredible and special way. It's good for you. And it's good. We talked last week as Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He says, you need to do what I do. You need to serve one another. Service is a blessing. People in helping professions, we talked about the healthcare people today. That's difficult. But we find people in helping professions have the highest level of job satisfaction because it's not the paycheck. It's not a number of things that gives them joy. It's the people they help that touch their hearts and give them joy. Well, today's command is, in fact, it's a three-part message. Uh, today we're going to be talking about this commandment. In fact, we call it the greatest commandment. Jesus says to love God. That's what today's message is, to love God. And this is based, we'll back up one slide, to a passage in Deuteronomy. It's called the Shema. This is a prayer that the observant Jewish people since the founding of that people uh, coming out of Egypt as God's special chosen people, they have prayed this prayer often as part of a larger prayer. They pray it in the morning and they pray it in the evening. It's called the Shema because that's the Hebrew first word of that biblical passage. Now, you know, we have books of the Bible and we have chapters and we have verses and that helps us to find a portion of scripture. But those came much, much later as uh, we began to print Bibles and we wanted to find and index them so we could find passage easily. What did they do in the Old Testament times when they didn't have numbers and chapters to refer to? They would refer to the first words or phrase of a passage. They would give you the first page. Like if I told you, turn with me to the Lord is my shepherd. Well, where would you turn? Well, we call it Psalm 23, but they called it the Lord is my shepherd. This passage is called the Shema because the first word is listen, listen up. It gets your attention. In fact, as we put it on the screen in the NIV, it's translated that listen command is translated as hear, like hear ye, hear ye, pay attention. And this is what the Lord says in Deuteronomy as he gives them that greatest of commandments, which became that daily prayer. And Jesus will see as he refers to it as the greatest commandment in just a moment. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord tells them, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord, your God. Here's the command. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And so that's the command. Do this. Love God. Now we can go to the next screen. I got ahead of her there. That's the great commandment. To love God. And yet, friends, when we think about this, in our culture, this seems counterintuitive. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. How can you tell somebody to love somebody, especially God telling you, love me? You say, well, how? How can you command love? Because in our culture, love is more or less thought of as an emotion. You can't command emotions at the drop of a hat. Be angry. Be joyful. Be fearful. Be loving. Love. You say, well, I've got to work at it. 
especially if it's before my, fir my first cup of coffee in the morning. There's not a lot of human kindness in my heart before that first cup. How do you command love? Well, friends, as we go along this morning, we'll see that love is far more than an emotion. Far more than an emotion. In fact, this commandment is such a key. I was thinking about this message. You know, sometimes as a pastor, you're excited about the upcoming message. God has, has laid something on your heart. He's given you an insight. and You can't wait to share it. But if we're honest, those who preach or teach the Word of God come to a message like this with fear and trepidation. You're shaking in your boots because it's so important. And you know you won't live up to it. You won't really get, maybe in the ballpark, maybe not in the ballpark, but in the parking lot outside the ballpark. You, you get close, but you won't be able to get your arms all the way around it. But it's so important. Apart from you, whenever that was, Lord willing, it's happened, you heard a message about the love of Jesus and His death on the cross for you, the Gospel. And you accepted Christ as your Savior. In your life, that'll be the most important message you ever heard. Maybe it was in church. Maybe it was at camp. Maybe it was in Sunday school. Maybe you were home studying your Bible when the Gospel became clear to you and you responded. Apart from that, this, this is the most important message you'll ever hear. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating. If we could take anything to heart, it should be this message. Because this is the greatest commandment. To love God. The greatest commandment, as you see from that picture there, the setting of it, interestingly enough, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is a setting of conflict and people trying to slyly trick Jesus. Remember the Pharisees, the scribes, they were, they were lined up coming at Jesus with attacks and tricks and trying to lay traps for Him to get Him to say something, to get a gotcha moment so they could declare Him a heretic and get rid of Him. And so they came with Him and they had their little traps all set. And that's the setting of this passage where Jesus refers to the Shema as the greatest commandment. In Mark chapter 12, of the, of the three synoptics, we'll read this passage this morning out of Mark chapter 12. It says in verse 28 and following, one of the teachers of the law came and he heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them good an a good answer, he asked him. See, he was listening to the other's traps. And so this man he asked Jesus a similar question. He says, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That was Jesus' answer. He referred to the Shema, to love God. Now you'll notice in Deuteronomy and the different uh, synoptics, the translations, because it's going from Hebrew into Greek and then into English, sometimes that heart, soul, strength of Hebrews adds mind and it's a little bit different. And I just want to say very briefly that there are a number of different words 
that are translated for us. And some of them overlap their meaning. Your heart. When we think of heart, we think of your seat of emotion. But in, in, in the Old Testament, your heart was your seat of who you were truly on the inside. In fact, the Greek word cardia, from which we get cardiac, something that deals with the heart, that word, you know, actually means in the middle. Your heart is in your middle. And that's also where you live, the inner you, the true you. It's not just emotions in their thought. In fact, Roman cities had a major street right down the middle of the street. I mean, right down the middle of the city. And it was all built around that middle street. All the important buildings were on that street. That street was called the Cardo, the Heart Street. Now, the heart is who you are truly in your inner person, your inner being. Your mind and soul, soul is the Greek word psyche, suke. That means the life that you have. That comes from the Old Testament thought of your spirit. It means breath. It's the breath of life that is within you. It's who you are when you're alive. When you're dead, your soul, your suke is gone. Also in the passage, we see the Greek word for mind, dianoi, or nous, intellect, or your strength, which is all that you can put towards something in life. Loving God with all your strength means to love Him with your intellect, with your job, with your finances, with your time. You put everything you have into it when you love with all your strength. What this basically means, and we know that spirit and soul, a lot, mind, they overlap considerably. It means with all that you are. Love God with all that you are. Physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, relational, with your job, vocational. If you're not loving God with your job, you're not loving Him with all your strength. Recreational. So often our hobbies, our passions, they almost take the place of God. If we're not careful, especially men, we're passionate about our recreation. There are days where you may love the flames, heaven help you, or better yet, the oilers. You may be more passionate about your hockey team than you've ever been passionate about God. Does He have your highest affection? There are most days you love your dog and show more affection to your pet than you do to God. When I read this passage, it makes me squirm. Because I know how far short I fall in the area of the greatest commandment. And God knows that too. And He understands that for all of us. Let's look at what love is in Scripture. Biblical love is a commitment. It's a commitment. People can have emotional love. They can have passionate love. They can have sexual expression of love. They don't need to get married. Marriage is a commitment. And that's what the world is missing out. That's what our society has lost in abandoning marriage. They're abandoning commitment, which is the biblical love, which is foundational. Love in Scripture is not simply an emotion. There are warm emotions connected to it. It's much more than that. It is a commitment to another person's 
well-being. You know I love C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said that love is unselfishly choosing for another's highest good. It's a choice. It's an act of your will committing to the good of others, putting them before yourself. Scripture from start to finish, that's what love is. It's an active choosing and living out our life on behalf of God and others. Putting them before ourselves. That is love. If you try to command an emotion, love God. Can't do it. But love as a verb, <laughs> the action of committing and choosing to put God first in our lives, you can do that. Love is more a verb than a noun in Scripture, if you understand what I mean. And we see this sacrificial putting others first in Jesus so clearly. Jesus epitomizes for us what biblical love is. For He's God and God is love. As I mentioned earlier, we are in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 beginning in verse 9. It says, this is how God showed His love among us. Here's biblical love. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. We get a definition now. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see that? The redemptive, sacrificial actions of Jesus for you, that's love. He put you first. While we were yet His enemies, Christ died for us. And friends, this biblical picture of love, this will stand the storms of life. If you base your love for your spouse, for your children, for others on an emotion which is here today and gone tomorrow, and some days you feel it and many days you don't, then you're in trouble. A commitment is something that is lasting. And that's why at the altar before God, a man and woman take one another's hands and they commit to one another and they make their vows and their promises to one another and it's to cherish and put the other first with no thought for themselves. There need be no thought for themselves because their beloved is putting them first in their life and working for their best. Love is a commitment. We see that that commitment that, we are, that God shows toward us, when we experience it, we are changed by it, we are loved and then we become loving. <laughs> we begin to act as God acted toward us. We begin to put others first as He put us first. Ten verses down, we were in verse 9, move down to verse 19 of 1 John 4. We love, <laughs> now it's us, we love, because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And He has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. 
because that's the nature of God's love. It's a sacrificial commitment to put others first. As God put us first, as Jesus died in your place on the cross, now you put God first. And in connection to that is living it out in this world, putting others first. I mentioned three messages. Today's the greatest commandment. Next Sunday, I give you a new commandment. The new commandment. Love one another. And in two weeks, the hard commandment. <laughs> Love your enemy. All of these, Scripture speaks so clearly about. But foundational to all of them is knowing the love of God. That's the next point. Knowing the love of God. It's foundational. Just to know it. One of my favorite passages in the book of Ephesians is the Apostle Paul has a prayer. He's praying for the Ephesian church. He says, this one is so big. It's like I told you this morning. so important that you've got to get your arms around it. It's foundational to your life as a Christian. And Paul says, I pray that you can know the love of God. Here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. Paul says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, that means you're saved by the love of Jesus shown to you on the cross. You're rooted and you're a new, believe, a new creation because of the love of God. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Did you get that? That you may know that which passes, surpasses knowledge. Now at first you, you read that and you say, well, what does that mean if the love of God is beyond our knowledge? How can we know it? Well, in English, it's, it's unfortunate. In English, we use the word know differently. Paul is praying that you know God's love, that you are in relationship with Him and you know Him as your Savior. You know Him as your Lord. You know Him as the lover of your soul. Not intellectually understand and know. He's using the word relationally, not rationally. I just made that up this morning and it made sense to me. We need to know God relationally because we can never fathom Him rationally. It's an act of faith. He's beyond our understanding. It's like an old definition of the Trinity. People talk about the three-leaf clover and the egg and water as steam and ice and liquid. and yeah, All of them help you a little bit, but if you could fully understand the Trinity or you think you do, you're wrong because it's beyond your understanding. Just as the love of God is beyond us. But we can still know Him. And Paul's praying that you really know Him relationally. You're on first name basis with Him because you love Him more than you love anything else or anyone else. Now some of us, we can know, but it's at a distance. I was trying to think of an example of a person who's known. He passed away a few years ago, well up in his 90s, Dr. Billy Graham. He was the best known 
pastor in the world. He was an evangelist, a speaker. Countless people came to faith through him. And many of us feel we knew him because we saw him on television and we heard his voice. He was familiar to us. And countless people, he prayed for them and shook their hands. Thousands, tens of thousands. And they had a passing acquaintance of him. And they claim, well, I knew him. I met him once. You knew him or you knew of him, but you didn't really know him. Well, I had an opportunity to have lunch with one of his close colleagues, a man named Charlie Riggs, who was his discipleship coordinator. And Charlie Riggs told us about his inner circle of colleagues that Dr. Graham had, men like Cliff Barrow and George Beverly Shea. And these people really knew him. They were his friends. But they're those who knew him better. Think of Franklin. Think of Anne. Think of his kids. They knew him as only Southerners can, as Daddy. No matter how old they got, he was always Daddy to them. They knew Daddy. And they knew him well. They knew him better than his colleagues at work did. But they didn't know him as well as Ruth, as his wife. So you see, there's those different levels of relational knowing. And at the heart, Billy and Ruth... They knew each other so well. The Lord wants you close to His heart. He wants you truly to know Him and to love Him as He's committed and loves you. He loves you so much. Well, as I said, this is a message that makes me squirm preparing it. I can't imagine what it's like to have a person on Sunday morning dumping this on you and say, oh boy, do I really love God with all my heart, mind, soul, strength? I spent a lot of time on myself. I spent all my money on myself. The house I live in is way nicer than the church I go to. <laughs> Look at the amount of money for that giant pickup I drive. Like, man, a living. My strength is spent on so many things apart from God. I don't put Him first in most areas of my life on most days. On my best day, I don't do it like I should. But I just want to encourage you. It doesn't depend on your fulfilling the greatest commandment. It's an aspirational goal. It's the work of a lifetime. It's a relationship growing deeper and closer day by day. We are on the way. And as the ladies sang this morning that wonderful song, He will hold me. He'll hold me fast. He'll hold me close. My love falls short, but His never will. And because He never gives up on me, He has redeemed me. And He forgives me. And He cleanses me. Because He is love. From first to last. God the Father shows His love through His creation and His power and His holiness first to last. God the Son shows His love in His redemptive, sacrificial death on the cross for you. God the Spirit shows His love by indwelling you and cleansing you and sanctifying you, making you more like Jesus day by day. Just some tips to end today to be mindful, to keep it in the front of our mind, to love God every day, and to work at putting Him first. I call this living 
a life of love for God. How do we begin to do it more and more? To be more purposeful about our love for God. Well, it has to begin with hearing from Him. Communication. We have to know and communicate with the One who loves us. And God has given you His love letter in Scripture. He's revealed His Word to you. It needs to become precious to you. That wonderful verse from Psalm 119, beginning in verse 102. The psalmist speaking of the words of God and His laws and commands. He says, I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Would you describe God's Word as sweet? You need to get into it. You need to feed on it. It's bread for your soul. It's His love for you. Some of you remember back when we didn't text brief messages. We wrote letters on paper with pens. These things. Look at modern people's handwriting. It's terrible. Terrible. They go, how do you hold that pen again? You know, they barely know how to hold it, much less, you know, okay, I'll, and they're incredible with their thumbs, but my wife had beautiful handwriting when we wrote love letters back and forth. Mine was scratchy and up and down, and hers was all round, and she didn't quite put hearts, she didn't dot her eyes with hearts, but she might as well have. Every word just saying to me, oh, when those letters would come, if the envelope was a big fat envelope, hoo-hoo, this is going to be good. And you just read it and you read it again and you just couldn't get enough of it and you put it away and you hid it in your heart because it was precious to you, sweeter than honey. God has given you His Word. Experience it. Love Him fresh and new. That's loving Him with your heart. When you act on it and you're committed, the emotions are connected. They follow. But commitment precedes the emotions. It gives them real foundation. In Romans 12, there's two important things to be... We need to love God with our actions. Not only with our words, but with our deeds. It says, love God in spirit and truth and word and deed. You need to act on that love. As Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Worship is loving Him. And living life for others. Sacrificial love is an act of love for God. And not only our actions, but our whole lives will follow a pattern of putting others before ourselves and loving God most of all. Paul continues in Romans 12, speaking of that pattern. He says it should be a lifestyle. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what's God's will, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The world... They think they're so independent, but they're in lockstep on the broad road to destruction. The pattern of the world, and I mentioned how the pattern of the world today is to reject biblical love, reject commitment, and more selfish-based lifestyle. 
We're to reject the world's pattern. And from God's Word, find the pattern of love in our life that's based on putting God first. And that becomes a lifestyle. It's a way we think. It's our attitudes. It's naturally not just something we do one day a week. It's who we are. We work at it every day. Speaking of our minds, our thoughts need to be pleasing to God too. And sometimes we, we feed on the wrong things in, in media. Boy, COVID's been hard on people. The media is fractious, and false, and crazy. And everybody, you can find every opinion and you don't know where to turn. And everybody's angry. Sometimes you just need to turn all that off. Be still and know that I am God. Anybody see how beautiful the sunrise was this morning? Just like a couple days ago, that incredible display of color in the quiet of the morning. We need that. We need to have our minds in tune with God's creation and God's love. Paul says in Philippians 4, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. This is a mind that experiences God's love all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Our choices need to reflect God's will. We find God's will from His Word, from His Spirit, from our fellow believers. We need to love God with our choices. The hard choices in life when there's a fork in the road. I recently visited Dan and Joy Nemez. Keep Dan and Joy in your prayers. As Dan's cancer is spread into his bones, the pain becomes greater. The medicine does less. And yet, he knows he's in God's hands. God loves him. And God touched Dan in a special way and revealed this passage to him recently. And it speaks of the choice we make every day to trust God, the God that loves us, are to trust ourselves. Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. When you have those big choices in life, what do you base them on? Is God in the equation? Do you love God enough to love Him with the choices you make in life? As we already have had an opportunity this morning, many of us realize that worship is singing our love songs to God and praising Him and ascribing glory to His name. It's our heart before God. Psalm 100 puts it so well. It's such a short psalm. And the last half of it says, Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. <laughs> We're praising and worshiping the God who loves us, the God whom we love. It's from our hearts. And finally, don't forsake gathering together. Why does God want His children, His followers, believers in Christ together? <laughs> it's to love. It's to experience God's love through your brothers and sisters. 
And it's to share His love by putting them first in your life as well. We'll talk more about that in the Love One Another next week. But we finish with that today as a foretaste of next week. The new commandment He gave in John 13. And right after He gave that commandment, what did Jesus said about our love for one another? By this, all men will know that you are My disciples if you love one another. It's your witness. Your strongest witness that you love God is you love your brothers and sisters. And people can see it and say, I don't know what those people believe, but I know they care for one another and I'm drawn to that. Love God with all you have. Your mind, your heart, your strength, vocationally, educationally, recreationally, in every way, love God. It's the greatest commandment. As the ladies come to lead us in our final song, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, You knew what we needed when You commanded us to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all our strength. And you know, love, Father, that it is, it is not the easy way of life. Many people often think, oh, it was hard in the Old Testament times when, Lord, you gave men laws to follow. And now it's easy. Christians just love. But, Lord, it's always harder to live a life of love, truly putting others before yourself and putting God first of all than it is to follow a set of rules. The Pharisees rejected love and became legalists because that was the easier path. But you call your children to a higher road to put God first and to put others before ourselves. But the secret, Lord, is in following this path, we will be blessed above all people because we will receive and give love and experience you, the fullness of Christ, only as we love. Lord, grow Jesus in us today. His love, His compassion, His understanding. Lord, may we love You in our choices. May we love You in our thoughts. May we love You in our attitudes and in our actions. Lord, none of us are there yet. Grow our love as You love us every day. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, Amen.